Welcome to the Preserving Family Podcast. The purpose of this podcast is to equip you to gain insight, information, and inspiration to help you protect, teach, and guide your family during these turbulent times. Our goal is to provide tools and resources to help you strengthen and preserve your own marriages and families. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Mark and Janie Ogletree. Well, welcome to the podcast today, and I am really excited. We're excited to have with us a good friend, and that's uh, Dr. Ted Acey, a clinical psychologist who practices in Dallas, Texas. Ted works with adults, adolescents, children, and families. He's also a clinical assistant professor of psychiatry at the University of Texas Southwestern Medical Center in Dallas, where he teaches graduate classes in individual and group psychotherapy and provides psychotherapy supervision to graduate students. Ted received both a Bachelor of Science degree in psychology and a Doctor of Philosophy in clinical psychology from Brigham Young University. He and his wife, Laura, have three children, four grandchildren, another on the way. Ted is currently serving as a gospel doctrine teacher in his ward. I know that Ted was recently released from the stake presidency in the in the uh, Dallas East Stake uh, down in Dallas. And uh, I know Ted from my experience of being a, a therapist in that area. We had meetings together and have always been impressed with Ted and the, his professionalism, the way that he conducts himself, his knowledge of the subject, his kindness and compassion towards everyone. And, you know, Ted and I actually wrote a book just a year ago called Finding Peace in Difficult Times where we try to give what I would call gospel interventions uh, in dealing with stress and anxiety and depression. And Ted, just just what a great uh, scholar, what a great friend. And Ted, it is so wonderful to have you on our program today. Appreciate the invitation. And um, I'm looking forward to our discussion about self-compassion. My technology was a little off here, but we got it. Hey, technology is always a fun thing, right? If it, when it works, it's the most incredible thing in the world. And when it doesn't, it's it ruins your day and sometimes your your life that week, you know. So, Ted, make me jealous for a minute, though. Yeah. Tell me how the weather is in Dallas today. Well, uh, probably not that much to be jealous about. It's kind of overcast, cloudy, and in the fifties. Uh, but last week, you know, it was up in the eighties and nineties. Uh, which is wonderful. That's that's why we live in Texas. Uh, <laughs> uh, but we get some we get some cooler days too in the spring. That's right. That's right. Well, funny story. I had some some uh, someone in my stake this week, a younger uh, kind of college age student that said, "Hey, I'd love to, I'd love to mow your yard for you." Uh, <laughs> and I said, "Okay," but there's like there's like two feet of snow right now, so I think it's going to be like another month before we're going to do any <laughs> mowing. So. Anyway, well, yeah. Ted, tell us, uh, for those who don't know, tell us just a little bit about you, yourself, mm. your family, and what you do these days to keep yourself busy, because I know that you were just released from the, the stake presidency, so maybe that gave, gives you a little bit of extra time, but maybe not. Well, yeah, it, it, it gives me some. You know, I have, have a little <laughs> more breathing room. After it first happened, I was just wandering around in my house <laughs> in the evenings. Wondering, wondering what, what to, to do. do. Yeah, yeah totally. Uh, but but it uh, i've kind of embraced that and and uh the you know the extra time with my wife and visiting our grandkids and so on has been really nice yeah um so when when i'm not um uh, uh working 
what I like to do is mostly sports related type things. I like to water ski. I like to snow ski. Uh, I'm a biker and, uh, and a runner. And, uh, and Texas is a great place to do all those things, except for snow ski. Yeah. Um, to do them year and, round uh, as well. That's what we miss. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I didn't think I'd ever say this, but I actually am starting to like working in the yard. Um, Wait, I, uh, that's I don't... therapeutic, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's re- therapeutic. It's relaxing. Plant some flowers, pull some weeds. But if it gets too hard, like laying sod or fixing, fixing the sprinklers, I'm, I'm out. That's where you tap out. <laughs> I don't... That's exactly right. Well, Ted, let's, uh, I love this, uh, this topic of self-compassion. And in that book that we did together uh, last year, Finding Peace in Difficult Times, uh, you you wrote a whole chapter on this. So this is going to be kind of cool to kind of hear some hear it straight from the horse's mouth, so to speak, on uh, on some of these great, great uh, concepts on self-compassion. So first of all, just tell us a little bit about this idea of self-compassion, what it is. Well, I'm glad we're talking about it because I think self-compassion um the the attitude of self-compassion the skill of self-compassion is something that can be helpful to everyone and uh it's as we'll probably talk about further you know it's it really is a a, a positive for people in, in just maintaining mental health good mental health and so in a nutshell what self-compassion is is just an attitude an attitude of kindness concern and understanding for ourselves uh, especially mm-hmm. when we're dealing with with mistakes and setbacks or facing personal inadequacies. Um, it's uh, one way I like to think about it is it's offering to ourselves the same kind of understanding that we would a friend who was who had things go wrong. Uh, and I guess practically speaking, it's just not beating up yourself right or, or failing failings and missteps. You know, Ted, I thank you for sharing. I, I'm glad you're saying that because, first of all, the idea of self-compassion is, is almost counterintuitive, you know, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, where we're so focused on hopefully serving and helping other people. But this idea of demonstrating compassion to yourself, you know, it, it, it could be tough for some. And I'm going to read something that you wrote. You said, while compassion and kindness toward up towards others is a personal quality that we are taught to develop in our growing up years and that we intrinsically value. Compassion for self is not taught as a virtue and can be difficult to justify. I'm sure people have right. a hard time with that, right? Yeah, yes. You know, and, and that's right. Uh, in our society, our culture, we're taught, and in the church, you know, we're taught to be compassionate. That's a Christ-like virtue, and it's a great thing to be compassionate to others, but there's a lot less emphasis placed on being compassionate to, toward ourselves. But if you think about it, uh, the, the two are not mutually exclusive. I mean, if you have, and I think the research points this out, as you develop more compassion for yourself, you actually have greater compassion for other people and more concern for other people. You have more resources, uh, more of a well to draw upon. Uh, to offer to other people that's that's once again it's counterintuitive but i love i love what you're saying and that the research points that way i'm going to read ted just something once again something you wrote that we can spin off of that is exactly what we're talking about right now you wrote about a 25 year old man that was having trouble sleeping at night 
fact, you said it was not uncommon for him to stay up all night because he couldn't go to sleep. And as he talked further about his situation, it became clear that stress, anxiety, and depression were a big part of his inability to sleep. And at one point, he confessed that I feel embarrassed coming coming in here and talking about this stuff. Yes, I don't sleep well, and I'm probably depressed, but there are so many other people who have much bigger problems. And that just sounds like so many of us that would say that. I just need to quit complaining, suck it up, and get, get over myself. And then here's what you said, Ted, and this is great. Interestingly, research on self-compassion indicates that it's not associated with narcissism or selfishness, but with stable feelings of self-worth. Moreover, the, those who practice self-compassion are more likely to focus on the needs and feelings of others and take more responsibility for their own feelings and behavior. Anything more on yes. that, you know, idea, Ted, and, and maybe even some of the research, what is it, what are, what are the experts saying that uh, self-compassion can do for us? Maybe some of the benefits. Yeah. Well, just a comment on that little vignette that you said about that, that man who made that comment about, I just need to suck it up, stop yeah. complaining and get over it. Well, we, we all are pretty good at saying those kind of things to ourselves. And uh, the thing I said to him that I didn't put in the book was, well, if that was working for you, you probably wouldn't be in my office <laughs> just sucking it up. Right, uh, right. That wasn't, that, that wasn't helping him very much. Uh, so in any case, yeah, self-compassion, and it, sometimes it's mistakenly thought to be, you know, self-focus, selfish, self-indulgence, that kind of thing. Uh, but it's really just offering ourselves uh, some uh, ability, some soothing, some comforting uh, when we feel pain. And yeah. uh, when we're able to, when, as you said, when we're able to do that, then we have more to give to others. And I'll just add this little point, too, and that is that people who come in to see me for psychotherapy, you know, one of the big issues that we're, we often deal with is that they're very harsh on the uh, and judgmental on themselves, self-critical, don't have much empathy, like this man we were talking about just now. Right. Uh, so, so what we tried to do in psychotherapy, among other things, is to help them to develop a voice, a voice of understanding, a voice of kindness and empathy for themselves. Right. Um, and and back to your question about the research, um, there's. Fortunately, I mean, this this has been a concept in mental health for a few years now. So there's been a lot of research done on it. And one of the things that's very clear is that people who have higher levels of self-compassion have better mental health. They have less depression, less anxiety, struggle less with shame. Uh, they manage stress better. And they tend to be more optimistic and happier. Right. Um, so that's and that's yeah, and that's huge. Those That's benefits huge. are incredible. I want to, Ted. I tend to bounce all over the place, yeah, <laughs> with my, yeah. With my okay. ADD. So, so <laughs> let me let me run with this for a minute because you know I you, you talked a minute ago about how certainly self compassion can help us, especially where there's pain, where, where there's you know deficiency, where there even could be trauma. But what about self compassion in the form of preventive maintenance? You know. Talk about that for a minute and what, you know, I, I think that you're right. A lot of us, you know, I love that famous uh, quotation that the time to repair the roof is when the sun is shining. So uh, a lot of, but a lot of us don't do right. that. We're up repairing the roof in a rainstorm. 
especially in our with our mental health. But is there some preventative maintenance here that we could focus in on when it comes to self-compassion and building self-compassion in ourselves? Yeah, absolutely. You know, one really good thing that's been happening is, um, you know, the person who really pioneered this is a woman named Kristen Neff. And she's at the University of Texas. Yes. And uh, she's done a lot of work on it. Well, more recently, she and a man named a psychologist uh, by the name of Christian Germer have developed what they call a mindful self-compassion program. And so <clears throat> this pro you, the purpose of the program is to teach people, teach people how to be self-compassionate. And uh, a lady by the name of Karen Bluth now I believe she's at uh, University of North Carolina is doing the same kind of program for adolescents. Okay. So it can it can be taught. People can learn how to do it. That's that's the good thing. Um, and when they do, it can be really helpful to them. So in in trying to become more self compassionate, there's a few things that you can do. Okay. One is 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 you can try to be be uh, more aware of what what I would call the in, inner critic that we have. And so kind of your negative, almost tracking your negative self-talk, right? I mean, just becoming aware right. of negative yeah. self-talk, right? Yeah, yeah. And so what you're trying to do is to transform that negative self-talk into internal dialogue that, that is more kind, is more accepting uh, and more compassionate. So... If you're trying to develop self-compassion, one of the best things you can do is to just try to pay attention to your self-critical self-talk, yeah. that, that dialogue. And uh, interestingly, um, that negative or that critical self may be the voice of a parent who is critical or a teacher or a coach um, uh, or you know, some some people uh, feel like they have to be critical of themselves to motivate themselves or they need to punish themselves sometimes by being critical. But in any case, if you can notice that self-critical talk and then try to modify it, try to develop a kinder vocabulary. Uh, for example, let's say you get in the car and I probably just use myself as an example, but get in the car <laughs> got to get to work, run a little behind, realize that there's no gas in the car. And I meant to put gas in the night before, but I didn't do it. So I'm like, oh, gosh, didn't do that. How stupid. I should have done that. Can't believe how I forget things. You know, just kind of start in on the, the self-criticism. Sure. But if you could stop, stop there and say, OK, wait a second. I need to try to be a little more compassionate. Well, I was pretty tired last night. I had a lot on my mind. Sometimes, you know, people just forget things. It's not that big a deal. Let's move on. Right. Uh, so that'd be a, just kind of a simple example of how you might do that. Um, I'll tell you just uh, another example. Sure. Um, I w was working with a woman who came in one day and said, wow, did I really screw up? <laughs> I, I took my, my two little kids to the park to meet one of my old friends. And so we got together. And we got into a conversation. All of a sudden, I looked up and I realized I couldn't see my kids. And uh, and I panicked and she kind of panicked. We ran. Well, they were just over a little hill. They were just playing. There. Right. But then after after that happened, 
she got really mad at herself and, and started saying things like, man, I can't believe how irresponsible I was, how neglectful and self-absorbed. What a lousy parent. And so, you know, it kind of stopped her and said, well, yeah, I mean, that wasn't a good thing that that you'd kind of lost your attention on the kids. But at the same right. time, you know, it's not that you're such a bad parent. You just got distracted. Uh, you sort of lost your focus because you were so happy to see your friend and uh, and ended up being not a real problem. So that's that's the kind of thing is just noticing when we're kind of beating up on ourselves and try to replace that with better language, kinder yeah. language. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Ted, I'm going to I'm going to throw something in here. And I know that that's probably once again, I'm bouncing everywhere. But this is just such a fascinating topic to me. You talked about in the book, in that case of the woman who lost her child in the park, you talked about this concept of, well, what would a friend say? You know, how would a oh, friend, yeah. if you told that story to a friend, what would they say? Would they club you over the head and tell you how horrible you are? Or would they talk you off the ledge? And I know we're yeah. going to probably come back to that in a minute, but I thought I, once again, I to be able to uh, talk to ourselves as if it was a friend, a best friend speaking to us, it's probably a great idea. <laughs> it, is, so, it is a great idea. Why are we so and, critical of ourselves? Well, um, like, like I was saying, you know, it's part, part of it, I think, is just kind of basic human nature. Mm -hmm. um, but, but the other thing, that we just tend, our minds just kind of tend to go that direction. But uh, something that adds to it is if, if we've had experiences with, with a person, particularly an adult, a parent who's been critical of us, who treats us in, in that sort of way when we mess up or shames us, um, then more likely develop that. Um, uh, or if we, you know, sometimes we, we criticize ourselves first before anyone else can do it. Yeah. Um, and and, uh, and and try to try to uh, take care of it that way. Another thing is <clears throat> um, sometimes we develop self-criticism just because we have certain feelings that are actually just normal human feelings like anger, hostility, selfishness, greed, uh, envy. Well, we feel those things and think, God, what a horrible person for feeling those kind of things. But most of us do feel that one time or another. We don't want to dwell on that. We don't want to, you know, cultivate that. But sometimes we have those feelings. Yeah. And as I said before, sometimes we feel like we have to criticize ourselves to motivate. You know, if we're going to do better, we have to be critical um, or punish ourselves if we've done something wrong. Yeah. It's interesting because as you talk, talk about this idea of treating yourself like you would a friend. It, our, our self-criticism sometimes is we if a friend came to us and said i'm struggling with this well we'd probably offer understanding and support to try to help their pain uh but would be if we had the same problem we'd probably be a lot more uh cruel to ourselves than we ever would be to a friend or even to someone we dislike yeah we talk so to true. ourselves worse than that person um so it's it's one of the things we struggle with. I really like a quote by Elder Holland. Oh, yeah. Uh, he talked about this. He said, as children of God, we should not demean or vilify ourselves as if beating up on ourselves is somehow going to make us the person God wants us to become. Oh, wow. What a great quote. <laughs> That's so great. Yeah. Um, 
That quote so it, it doesn't... Of, the, of, of another quote that you shared with me once where you said you were you were quoting uh Jack Cornfield. And uh, oh yeah, yeah. If your compassion does not include yourself, it's incomplete. Right. So yeah. true. I mean, we just don't think of compassion that way. We just I think we always think of it being directed towards other people. And I love what you said about where criticism originates. Uh, I think a lot of us listening today can could relate to some of those areas that you identified of the way that we were raised, for sure. Uh, if there was a lot of criticism in our home, uh, if if our self-worth is low anyway. I know I know that when usually when anything goes wrong in my life, I, I the first finger that I point is at me, right? If right. Uh, even to the point in, in a marriage relationship where if my wife is quiet or uh, a little more reserved, my first thought is, okay, just tell me, what did I do? And and I love when she'll say, nothing, I'm just focusing on uh, what I'm doing here right now. I'm Everything's fine. But but we tend to think that way about ourselves. So absolutely. What are some yeah, of the I, core? Oh, go ahead, Ted. Sorry about that. Oh, I, I was just going to give an example from my my own life and I can do it now or I can do it. A little yeah, bit please. Later. I, just, I love these yeah. examples and stories. Yeah, because this is fresh on my mind because it happened just last weekend. So my <laughs> wife and I uh, flew to Michigan last weekend from Texas because our son and his family are moving to Boston. Okay. And and so we get there, you know, uh, the truck's loaded and the next morning. So they're, they're, wife, they're moving from Michigan to Boston. Yeah, Michigan. Okay, to Boston. I got you. Um, so then we get there at Michigan. The next morning, my wife and I drive the truck and our son and his uh, wife drive their kids in a van. So we're driving along. We, you know, we do well. We make it all the way to Utica, New York. And and I'm driving at that point. <laughs> and um, so it's nighttime. It's dark. And we're pick, we want to pick up some food from Subway and take it to the hotel. So I'm, yeah. we're going to do it in this moving van truck. <laughs> so I'm going through the drive through and, and <laughs> I didn't see a pole. And <laughs> it was kind of dark. Anyway, I, so I hit this pole with the <laughs> side of the truck. I'm like, oh, no. So I so get out, look at it. And this isn't good. And, and then pick up our food and go to the, the hotel. So the next morning I come back out with my son. He rented the truck. And I said, yeah. oh, I've got to tell you something. I, I hit this pole last night. So we look at it. Yeah, you did. There's some paint from the pole on the side. Fortunately, those trucks have these steel rails on yeah. the sides because they know people like me might run into things. <laughs> so I apologize to him. I said, okay, okay. That, that was just an anomaly. We're, we're ready to go. So we go to the gas station. To get gas, I'm driving, and I cut the truck a little too sharp again, and and I hit another pole, <laughs> and and I'm going, oh no, I can't believe this! I hit a pole again. And my wife's like, yeah, you hit a pole, <laughs> and and so oh man, I tell you, and our and our son and his wife are sitting there in the car watching this whole thing, so I back up and pull up to the gas pump, and then by this point, I'm feeling bad. You know, I'm yeah. embarrassed, I'm humiliated, I feel stupid that I hit the pole. And so I'm saying all these things in my mind, all these negative things. And I we get the gas and I told my wife, why don't you drive? And so I'm sitting there in the truck and we're going back on the freeway and I'm kind of stuck with this really negative 
self-talk and this negative self-state of what I did, you know, we just taught, I just told him last night, I hitting a pole and then I hit another one this morning. So I, I just said to myself, look, I've, I got to use some self-compassion here. Right. And so I, I tried to calm myself and go through it. And I just said, look, okay, I hit the pole. That's not good. That's not good for him. <clears throat> After you just hit one last night too. <laughs> but, um, you know, uh, it's not the, it's not horrific. There's not a lot of, in fact, no real damage on the truck because of those rails. Right. Um, these, these kind of things can happen. Uh, you were tired. It was a long trip and uh, you weren't, you just weren't focusing very well. Uh, but, you know, this, this will pass no real damage done. And so I kind of, kind of right. talked myself down and tried, tried to be a little kinder uh, in dealing with my embarrassment and my shame and so on. So did it help? I, did it, help? it did help. It did yeah. help. Yeah. And I and so I got feeling better and I called my son as we were on the road in his car and I, I just apologized again. He said, Look, Dad, you know, it's not that big a deal. Don't beat yourself up for it. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and, right. Uh, like, okay, I've been working on that. I've been working on it. Um <laughs> well, that's a but, great example, yeah. Ted. Great example and very relatable as a as we moved here and my father-in-law took out uh, a pole at a gas station as well and with the moving truck. So I'll still remember that one too. And well, it was not a big deal. To do. Yep. Everything was okay. Yeah. So, so, so yeah, let's talk about some of these core elements of self-compassion. I know in the, in the book chapter, you started off by yeah. talking about mindfulness. What, tell us about some of these, some of these other elements is besides mindfulness. Tell us about that and whatever else would kind of make up the core elements of self-compassion. Yeah, well, there's really three core elements of self-compassion. We've been talking about the the, the main one, which is just self-kindness. Right. Standing and supportive toward ourselves when we, we, we struggle. And we struggle with a lot of things. Feelings of inadequacy, sense of failure, uh, loss, <clears throat> excuse me, mistakes of all kinds. All those things, and so it's is trying to to um, develop a voice that's uh, understanding, empathic, and kind. And it, it really to, to counter this self-critical voice that we we often have. Um, the other element is what's called common humanity, and all that means is that the fact that we all are imperfect, we're mm -hmm. all flawed, we all make mistakes, we all fall short, and so. And, and because of that, we suffer. Uh, and so the idea is, is that, well, you know, whatever we're experiencing, whatever pain we have, other people feel it too. Uh, uh, we're not that much different from each other. We, right. we all have feelings of failure at some times. We all feel inadequate sometimes. Um, and so just having that concept that, that you know, we, we kind of suffer together, the pain I feel, you feel. And so that, that's, I think it's a very helpful concept because the idea that we're all human, we all make mistakes, we all feel pain. And we, we and knowing that, can uh, it really can be helpful. Now, one thing in the gospel that helps us too is we understand that the Savior also feels our pain. Right. Knows our pain because he's felt it himself. 
we know that he was a man of, as Isaiah said, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and he took upon himself our infirmities, our pains. So that helps too, knowing that he knows, he's felt it, he can empathize. Right. And then the last part is mindfulness, as you talked about. And so what mindfulness helps us to do, you've probably heard of mindfulness meditation, is just to be aware of our present experience, uh, to know when when we're suffering, when, when we are suffering, uh, and uh, being able to uh, acknowledge that and accept that in ourselves. We're really good at trying to avoid pain uh, of any kind, but certainly emotional pain. Right. We have all kinds of ways, ways we try to do that. We just keep really busy. We focus on social media. We take substances. We focus on food, whatever it is right. uh, to, to distract us or numb us from our pain. But mindfulness says, no, just, just tune in to, to what you feel. Uh, and if you can accept it and not push back on it or try to get rid of it, then you're going to be able to deal with it much better. Uh, which is really true. You know, the old saying, you can't heal what you can't feel. Oh, yeah. Uh, and we understand that from psychotherapy, psychotherapy, that people really have to feel what's causing them pain before they can heal from it. So anyway, that's that's helpful with mindfulness. The other thing about mindfulness is that um, it helps us not to over-identify with our negative thoughts, meaning that we don't define ourselves by our thoughts and our failures. That's so easy right. to do. You know, I was caught up in, in just in that example I gave. And, you know, I could define myself as, you know, you don't know how to drive a truck. You, you know, this is going to keep happening. That was a stupid <laughs> thing. All, all, you know, about our sense of identity and who we are. And it's easy to over-exaggerate that. Sure. Uh, so we want to make sure we don't lose sight of ourselves as humans, even though we're fallible, we have flaws, but we're still humans worthy of acceptance, worthy of love. And we know we're children of God, too. And that makes us worthy of, of care, makes us worthy of uh, compassion. So well, those three things are all part of self-compassion. Yeah, I love that. And so... Next question is just how do you develop it? You know, how do you develop this self-compassion? I read some things that you had written, and I think they're wonderful. I would love for you to talk about some of the ways that we can develop self-compassion in our own lives. We talked about one of those earlier, and that is just noticing the self-critical talk, self-talk, and uh, trying to change that, uh, change our vocabulary that we use and the words that we use when we're you know, mad at ourselves, essentially. Sure. Um, so that was the, the example of the woman with the kids and so on. Another thing that you mentioned that I think is worth focusing on again is that idea of treating yourself like you would uh, a good friend. Right. And there, and, and uh, Dr. Neff in, in her book uh, mentions a couple of ways you could do that. For example, if you could think of an aspect of yourself for which you feel shame or disappointment or discontent. And then imagine that you have a friend who has this very problem. Right. Then write a letter to this friend, summarizing your thoughts about their problem in the spirit of compassion and encouragement. Then write a letter to yourself, uh, following wow. the same kind of form. <laughs> 
And, sure. and writing those letters can be really helpful. And yeah. It takes a little little bit of time, but it's a good way to, to kind of conceptualize and to apply self-compassion. The other thing you can do is keep a self-compassion journal. Uh, and wow. doing that uh, each day, just write down it, the experiences you have that have caused you to feel bad or to criticize yourself. Uh, you know, what happened, how you felt about it, the judgments, the criticisms you made. And then write how your feelings or your actions could be connected to the larger human experience that I was just talking about. Right. Common humanity. We all we all mess up. We all have flaws. And then try talking to yourself about it, writing about it with an attitude of acceptance and kindness. Mm -hmm. uh, and doing that, you could do that on a daily basis, just at the end of the day. Okay, what happened? How did I feel about it? When did I criticize myself? And how could I treat myself in a little bit kinder sure. uh, and with more more compassion uh, going back over it? Right. Um, so th those are some main things that you can do. And like we talked earlier, I think when you show compassion to other people, it can also be a helpful way to learn compassion for yourself. I mean, we understand in the church that when we when we're serving other people and showing compassion, we feel the Savior's love for them. Right. Uh, and at the same time, we can probably feel his love for us too. Sure. Um, and, and that that helps us to to be more understanding and compassionate with ourselves too. Ted, on that, so, on that very thing, I wanted to share something that you quoted. In your chapter here, you, you quoted Elder Holland. My brothers and sisters, the first great commandment of all eternity is to love God with all of our heart, might, mind, and strength. That's the first great commandment. But the first great truth of all eternity is that God loves us with all of his heart, might, mind, and strength. And that love is the foundation stone of eternity, and it should be the foundation stone of our daily life. You know, not our lives, but our our daily lives. And I, I loved your idea here of one of the ways to develop self-compassion is to get in touch with the Savior's compassion towards us. I think that's wonderful. What a great thought. Yeah. Yeah. If you, yeah, if you can adopt for yourself the Savior's attitude toward you, if you can internalize that attitude of caring and compassion and love, especially during times that we fall short, that can be yeah. such a huge help to us. Yeah. So, Ted, kind of one last question today is, you know, our our youth, our adolescents, even our, our even children are are dealing with anxiety in, you know, in record on record levels, so to speak. It's like epidemic. It feels mm. like in some ways some of that anxiety in my mind stems from what I call kind of a performance anxiety. And that's where the critic really comes out. The other side of anxiety in my mind is the fear side of anxiety but self-compassion seems to be a great answer for that uh, i'm going to read another thing elder holland said and then i want you to comment on this idea of how do we teach our children to develop self-compassion in their lives or, or or our teenagers or how about this our missionaries who are out serving Elder Holland said, in preventing illnesses whenever possible, watch for the stress indicators in yourself and in others that you may be able to help. As with your automobile, be alert to rising temperatures, excessive speed, or a tank low on fuel. 
When you face depletion, depression, make the requisite adjustments. Fatigue is the common enemy of us all. So slow down, rest up, replenish and refill. I love that from, from Elder Holland, who has been vocal about uh, dealing with his own depression bouts, you know, at times. Anyway, just kind of, Ted, just kind of letting you take that from there for a minute. But uh, whatever you want to, however you want to respond to some of these ideas, but especially how we teach this to our children who, and our, our teenagers who seem to really need to understand self-compassion. Right. Well, it is a big need because the mental health issues of adolescents and children are re really becoming a major problem in, yeah. in our society. And they, they suffer uh, from depression and anxiety. I think statistically about 20% you know, of, of kids have problem with anxiety or have a diagnosable anxiety disorder. Yeah. And a little less with depression. Well, the, the, I think there's some things that can be done. And, and first, starting with parents, the best thing that parents can do to help their kids with self-compassion is to model self-compassion themselves. Right. That is for parent for parents to learn how to do that. Uh, that and, and because kids watch watch us all the time, and uh, if we make a mistake, drill down on ourselves. Well, that that gives them a message. Right. Uh, or that that's how you cope with it. Or if your or if the parents model self compassion, then the kids pick that up too. They see that. For example, let's just say a. Uh, a woman, a mom burns the Sunday roast. So she modeled uh, self-compassion because she just said out loud something like, well, mommy made a mistake when I burnt the roast today. I wish I would not have done that, but I got busy and forgot about it. Sometimes those things happen. Yeah. She's doing a good job of not, you know, beating up Honestly. on herself. Sure. Yeah, for, for making a mistake. The kids see that and... They learn to treat themselves the same kind of way when they when they do things wrong. Yeah, and and self compassion isn't an isn't not an excuse for bad behavior, because uh, really self compassion teaches that you take responsibility for what you've done. Yeah, uh, but you just treat yourself in a little uh, in a different way for it. There was an interesting study, uh, a Dutch study, that indicated that parents uh, who reported having less self-blame, less self-blame toward themselves, had teens with fewer symptoms of depression and anxiety. Wow. Uh, and, I, and I think there's a reason for that. Sure. Uh, because the teen, teens and the kids adopt what they see their parents doing. I, you bet. Um, I think parents can also help kids to develop self-compassion by just being uh, <clears throat> the kind of parents that really promote what we call a secure attachment, and that is being engaged, being responsive to their needs, listening to kids' feelings, validating their feelings, uh, but also having you know clear boundaries and limits. That just all of those things help kids to feel more secure, and it also helps them to feel more positively about themselves, and that helps with self-compassion. Right. And and when you do have to correct children. Uh, don't don't do it in a way a way where you're where you shame them, you make them make them feel bad about themselves as a person. The 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 more helpful way is just to focus on their behavior, what yeah. they did, and not on them as a person. Uh, 
So yeah, you you made your little sister cry again. That's not something because you hit her. We don't allow hitting here. And so you need to work on that rather than, man, you're just turning into a mean kid. There's a big right. difference between those two. Yeah. Um, so you talk sure. to them that way and you treat them with kindness and understanding, but firmness when they when they misbehave, that helps them to become that way with themselves too. The last thing that it, parents can do with, with kids is to give them explicit instructions about being self-compassionate. For example, um, <clears throat> you can say something like when kids mess up and they get kind of down on themselves. So it's okay to feel mad or disappointed or frustrated, but it's no not okay to be mean to yourself. Yeah. So just as an example, a parent talking to a child, it's upsetting when you're chosen last on the team, but that doesn't mean you're a loser. Or I can tell you feel disappointed for getting a bad grade on your math test, but it's really not fair to say that you're stupid. Mm. So parents can be very explicit about those things and, that, and, and that's and that's helpful. Those are things that are uh, so helpful, you bet. You Anything can do, else you, along those lines, Ted? Well, you can do uh, the same thing with teenagers and teenagers really uh, you know, take a lot of self-esteem hits. And yeah. so, and, and they're much more self-scrutinizing than adults or kids are. And they compare themselves socially and they're always thinking about, you know, am I normal? Do people like me? Am I smart? Am I attractive? Uh, all those things. And so um, I think that helping them learn self-compassion and, and they can learn it in many ways like adults do. That is just understanding that self-compassion is treating yourself like you would a friend. Yeah. And that's a that's concept a that, yeah, that they can understand. And if they, and if they did something, they made a mistake, uh, failed at, uh, at something, help them to understand their feelings about it and, and that they can be open to their feelings, but their feelings, um, well, you need to be open to it. The feelings uh, they they have teenagers, especially have a way of exaggerating and kind of catastrophizing what happened. Um, so you want to help them to, to kind of reel that in. Right. And, uh, because, you know, they may say something like, well, I failed the test. Uh, I'm, my college career is now. It's doomed. over. I won't get in. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So you sort of have to help them pull that back in more, more realistic perspective. Uh, sure. And then help them, help them realize, too, that other teens feel the same way. Yeah. You know, other teams feel bad when, when they fail or they don't make the football team. Uh, you're not the only one. Yeah. So that's that common humanity concept um, that every everybody and every teenager feels some insecurity. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes some sadness or they feel excluded. So they just don't feel like they're different than everybody else, because that's what happens to us when we get real critical. Is we feel like, oh, man, no one's like me. I'm different. I'm, I'm unique in what I've done wrong and my suffering, but it's not true. Um, and then the last thing is just helping them practice self-kindness. We were talking about to to learn to talk to themselves in a kinder voice. Yeah. Now they can do they can do other things to help them that are compassionate too, like taking a walk or listening to music uh, or doing something they like, like drawing. Right. Uh, that that's compassionate too. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. 
So good. You know, uh, Ted, as you were sharing all that, I had a thought that was going through my head and that's, I want to tie this into basically our, our theology here for a minute and to talk about the nature of God. You know, Joseph Smith said that if men do not comprehend the character of God, they don't comprehend themselves. And one of the things that I feel that many of us as members of our church don't understand is the nature of God. How kind, how loving, how compassionate, how forgiving, how patient he is. And it reminds me once of a counseling setting I was in where a young man had struggled with an addiction he was working on and he started to cry and he was about 16 and he just said, I, I know that God hates me. And I remember telling him that, no, 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 <laughs> not even close. Let's talk about the nature of God for a minute, because if you can understand the nature of God, then you can understand yourself a lot better and exercise some of the self-compassion. And we spent probably 20 minutes that day talking about what Heavenly Father is really like. And that he is a God of love and compassion and empathy and kindness and charity. And I try to have them visualize the most kind, saintly person you would ever meet, putting their arms around you and giving you comfort, you know, and telling you, you can do it. And I'm with you. And I think, you know, we talked today about, you know, self-compassion is, is this idea of what would your best friend say to you, you know, given that situation. And I, Think if people could understand the nature of God a little bit better, they could have the idea of what would Heavenly Father say in this situation? And I think that yeah. could be helpful. Yeah, yeah, I love that idea. Of yeah. Understand, understanding the nature of God and how, how he treats us and his attitude toward us. You know, one of one of the wonderful thing, things that Jesus did among many was he demonstrated how God treats us and how God looks at us. Because he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. Right. And so what I do is what he does. And, and you know, and I, I always think about this, this uh, story of the woman who was taken in adultery. And, right. uh, you know, they, the Jewish uh, leaders were accusing her and they were trying to trap Jesus by asking what he thought they should do. And he then he said that famous line of he that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone. Right. But then but then he talked to the woman and, and he said, uh, woman, where are thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? And she said, no, man, Lord. And and Jesus said unto her, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. So that was a beautiful example of how the Lord looks at us is, look, I'm not trying to condemn you or send you to hell or anything like that. Uh, God loves us and he wants us to succeed. He wants to help us and he's not going to condemn us, especially if we're trying. Yeah, so true. Mm -hmm. Ted, thank you so much for sharing that. So the way that we like to end our podcast is with an invitation. You know, our motto is LDS stands for let's do something. And is there an invitation, Ted, that you could extend to whoever's listening today, whether they be in the role of a parent or just as an individual or a partner in a marriage, uh, what could someone do here? What could they what, what could they take away? What, what could we invite them to do today? Just one simple thing that would set them on the journey for self-compassion. Well, I, I would say the main thing is, <clears throat> number one, is it's 
it's okay to be kind to yourself. Yeah. It's it's okay to have compassion for yourself. It's not weak. It's not, <clears throat> excuse me, self-indulgent. It's not avoiding the problems. Uh, it's it's being really Christ-like to yourself. Yeah. Uh, that would be one thing. And then that second thing I'd just say is just pay attention to how you talk to yourself and and try to make some small improvements in how you respond to yourself when you do make mistakes or you fall short. Um, it's a, it's an ongoing process and I'm a perfect example of, I, you know, it took me a while to work my way through that, that experience I had. And yeah. we all, we all have some struggles with it, but, but we can get better and we can improve. Sure. And I loved your idea of, of keeping a self-compassion journal. I thought that was great. Or even if people yeah just started to view their mistakes through, okay, what would a friend say? Or as we've even extended that to, what would Heavenly Father say if he were with you today? So Ted, thank right. you so much for being a, a guest on our podcast today. This has been awesome uh, connecting with you, talking to you live in Dallas, Texas. And uh, yeah. yeah, just so grateful for you today. Well, it's been a, really an honor to be on the podcast, Mark. I, I really enjoyed it. And it's good to see you again. I don't know that we've actually talked uh, in person or over a screen for some time. So it's been a, a real nice experience for me. Great. Well, awesome. Well, we will do this again for sure. So, Ted, thank you again. And until next welcome. time, we like to let everyone know that, yes, this podcast is available on, on iTunes, on Spotify, or just on our website at preservingfamilies.org. So until next time, have a great week. We'll see you soon.